Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Saki. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. And it's my pleasure to welcome on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, Dr. Steve Oldie, who's had a 30-year journey and really has revolutionized motorsports and motorsports safety, uh, especially when it comes to uh, open-wheel racing, champ car, uh, USAC, and uh, cart back in the day. Uh, Doctor, welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you really taking time out uh, to to come on the show because this has always been. I was saying in the first hour, always I've always been kind of a, a geek when it came to uh, racing safety, and you know one of my heroes growing up was uh, Bill Simpson and Simpson. You know what he did to help. Uh, I read a book. It was uh, I think it was is it ten? It was on a bunch, a half dozen drivers uh, in the mid seventies, and Bill Simpson was one of them, and. And it really was compelling when, you know, he's sitting in a, he had a drag racing accident and he crashed because he couldn't stop the car. And he thought, and he saw a parachute on the back of a jet plane and the bell went off. And I thought, that's, that's kind of cool. That's an interesting story. And we see things with, with racing in with Jackie Stewart and what he did to say, hey, we can do this better. And then uh, when you when you came on board, you certainly saw a lot of things in the early '70s that kind of you scratched your head at, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, I got involved in the late '60s, and it was uh, actually Wally Dallenbach uh, who was driving for USAC at that time. And some things that happened uh, in the series, uh, not not at Indianapolis, but most of the other tracks. And the drivers got together and they kind of appointed Wally to uh, make a noise about it. And uh, he and I were giving a talk at the same event in Indianapolis. And uh, after we were done, he said, asked me if I knew anybody, uh, any doctor that might be willing to attend uh, all the races uh, other than Indianapolis. And I said, well, you happen to be talking to the guy. <laughs> and uh so we uh, sat down and talked a little bit more, and the next thing I knew, Dick King, who ran USAC at that time, gave me a phone call and asked me if I'd be willing to do that, and uh, they arranged to do it for expenses, and uh, that's how it all started. Yeah, and you guys were set up a, a, a safety truck in that. Uh, Steve Edwards, who later became a paramedic, was a real instrumental in that, and that was something, you know, for me as a kid, 
watching, you know, I'll, I'll admit, I, you know, I watched Emergency as a kid, was really into that, and eventually became an EM, EMT, and didn't get as far as you, but did track safety, uh, and, you know, it's always been an interest to me, and, you know, some of the, this, you know, as, as, as a kid, you would see, there's, uh, on your documentary, the rapid response documentary, there's a there's a shot of uh, Al Unser Sr. Uh, when he hit the wall, and you see him, you hear his hip, and he's trying to struggle to get away from the car, and then he comes down. And it's like, you know, if you show that on TV today, people would be like, "What are you? Where's the safety crew in that?" And unfortunately, <laughs> you know, it, it took a while for the guys to get there, especially at at, at the bigger tracks. And there's there's other things involved too. You don't want to run a, you know. You just can't have safety car, as you, you can tell us, how you kind of maybe set that up uh, when you were dispatching the cars. You just can't have cars on the track when, when the cars are slowing down under a yellow. Well, it's uh, uh, it, that was a difficult thing, was uh, how to get us, meaning, uh, well, actually, originally it was just me and the ambulance. And uh, so before we had uh, safety trucks and before Steve came along, it, uh, when I started, I was basically by myself and had the local guys, but they were in the infield care center. They really weren't on the racetrack back then. So I was the only guy on the racetrack, and I was usually in the ambulance or next to it. And uh, we we would go out when it uh, went yellow, and you had to be very careful because they didn't have a speed limit uh, in those days. Drivers could uh, were allowed to go as fast as they felt was comfortable. And what I thought was comfortable and what they thought was comfortable were two different things. Uh, but uh, so we had to deal with that. And uh, then uh, it thought they decided that they would put a speed limit uh, on uh, the cars, and that was still difficult to do just because technology wasn't uh, that great then. And so... It was still pretty scary. I remember uh, one time uh, we went out. This was at Indianapolis Raceway Park. I can't remember what uh, year it was, but uh, we went out to a crash, and this was very early when I started doing this. And we stopped behind the wrecked car, and I opened my doors on the passenger side and ready to get out. And just as I opened the door, A.J. Foyt, went by and took the door off the uh, ambulance and had it been a split second later, uh, he'd have taken me off the, off the ambulance too. So uh, I learned a big lesson uh, that day that you got to look outside before you get out and you, you got to realize what the closing uh, speed is and uh, oftentimes get out of the other side of the car. So that uh, it was a tough learning curve and I'm probably really lucky that I uh, uh, survived it. The um, the the documentary was spectacular, and as well as the book too. But the the documentary had an interesting point re- regarding um, the transporting drivers to the hospital in helicopters, and they brought up the the incident that happened at at Michigan in 1981 oh, yeah. when uh, AJ injured his arm. Can you kind of walk us through that and and how you guys kind of had a uniform way of doing things after that? Yeah, that was uh, back in the days where we we wanted a helicopter, but the promoters uh, were reluctant. Uh, they didn't realize that uh, we should have a medical evac helicopter. That, that they thought anything would uh, be sufficient, 
and they could commandeer a, a news uh, helicopter or maybe somebody's corporate jet. So when uh, corporate helicopter. So when uh, AJ crashed, he had a horrible injury to his right arm. He severed an artery in the upper part of his arm, and uh, he was bleeding profusely. Really, blood actually was coming. Uh, out from under the uh, bottom of the car, you can see it in the documentary. It looks uh, most people would think it's just uh, fuel or or oil, but it's uh, it's actually uh, blood. And so everybody was uh, pretty excited at that uh, at that crash because uh, AJ was unconscious and it was uh, it was kind of a difficult extrication. So, but we got him out of the uh, car successfully. Uh, Steve Edwards and I and the other guys, uh, you know, working together because uh, you, you had to have a lot of uh, communication, not talking, but mostly hand signals and so forth. Uh, so you didn't do things in the wrong order and, and, and create a bigger problem. So we got AJ to the helicopter. Well, it happened to be Roger Pinsky's corporate helicopter. That was the only one. Uh, the news one was up in the air or something. And it wasn't uh, built for that. And uh, AJ at that time had gotten a little portly. And so it uh, was very, really kind of difficult to get him into the, uh, into the helicopter. And there, were, there was no gurney in the helicopter. He went in on the backboard and the backboard went over the corporate seats and his uh, stomach. Uh, belly really barely got under the uh, roof of the helicopter. I mean, he was, in as tight as he could be in and the IV couldn't be raised up and hung. It was uh, uh, about at his shoulder height so he wasn't really getting fluids as rapidly as he should but you know make a long story short uh, the helicopter made it to the hospital and uh, uh, AJ got operated on the uh, artery was fixed and he woke up and uh, everything turned out for the better but after that uh, of course Roger realized that you had to have proper helicopters, and we made a ruling that uh, all the tracks uh, would have, unless they were real close to the uh, the main hospital, I mean, they could get there in uh, 10 minutes or less. And so uh, we made a rule that uh, you had to have a, an actual medical evacuation type of helicopter. Yeah, because if I recall, Milwaukee did not need one because they were only, a, you know, within that range to Milwaukee, the old Milwaukee County General, which was a, a you know, top level uh, facility yeah, for absolutely right. Um, right. The the book uh, now the the book Rapid Response actually came out I think in around 2006, but you there's a new edition that's now available. And it has some additional uh, work on there. And you mentioned it's mentioned about Dario Franchitti, who I follow on Instagram is is quite a quite an interesting follow on Instagram. And he he will post a, uh, post a photo, but kind of bring a story along with it. And he mentions you know the numerous concussions he had. And it's interesting when he first came in the cart and follow along how you know the the changes has evolved as we learn more and more about concussions and that. Can you kind of walk us through how, especially uh, uh, in CART, uh, how do you guys monitor concussions and how that continued to be ramped up? Yeah, well, uh, Dario really uh, stepped back just a little bit. Uh, he started having concussions when he was very young. He and his brother used to go out on uh, dirt bikes all the time, and they just go away from home and in the uh, wilds of Scotland, and they'd, they'd crash, and 
they, uh, you know, be a little dingy uh, for a while. And he told me that he probably had uh, two or three concussions when he was a kid uh, doing that kind of thing. But he, uh, when he crashed in uh, Houston, uh, he never hit his head uh, on anything. And um, uh, the car, he had the concussion because the car spun around so quickly it, it went around uh, three and a half times in, uh, I think it was two and a half seconds. I may have that a, a little bit off, but it was so fast that the uh, his brain was twisted uh, with that rapidity, but it, his brain actually wasn't hit by anything. It was just the uh, angular acceleration that his brain had that uh, tore some uh, nerve fibers and uh uh, kind of stretched them and so on and caused him uh, a really bad concussion. And he was unconscious for uh, three or four minutes at the scene and uh, was uh, pretty dingy, uh, couldn't answer questions, didn't know where he was, uh, kept repeating himself and so forth uh, for quite a while uh, after the incident happened. And because uh, he had had so many instances like that, that was like his third uh significant concussion in in cart and so uh had discussion with him and uh, he decided that uh it didn't make sense to go on he'd won indy three times he'd uh, won the championship and so forth and and he uh decided that further injury uh, to his brain didn't didn't really make sense and but it took a long time to learn all that for and we used to say uh, if a driver got out of the car, even if he stumbled around and tripped and fell and uh, didn't uh, speak really well when we got to him, uh, we'd say, well, he's really lucky he's not dead. Uh, he's just had a concussion. And nobody knew. And like in other sports, like football, for example, that's one of the problems um, that they have now is they have uh, older players who played back when a uh, coach would say, uh, you feeling better now? And player would say, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. And they'd put them back in the game and they'd get hit again. And uh, this would happen repeatedly uh, in certain positions, uh, especially. And now, you know, they've got several players in uh, uh, nursing homes in their late fifties, early sixties with, uh, disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, and it's, it's very much like Alzheimer's. It's a different uh, protein that gets deposited, but it's uh, you know the same kind of thing. So it took uh, this kind of discovery uh, to really realize that uh, concussion was not a minor thing. It was a big deal. And we were, uh, there was a program called IMPACT, which was a test that done very quickly in 25 to 30 minutes. It's kind of a paper-pencil test that uh, an individual can do, and it was designed by a guy called uh, named Mark Lovell in the University of Pittsburgh and three of his colleagues, and uh, they uh, tested many, many people. Uh, originally, they had about 18,000 uh, high school and college kids, I think, that uh, that they did, and they realized that they could pretty much predict who had had a concussion and who hadn't. And they also realized uh, how long it took for the test to go back to normal, that people's 
uh, concussion didn't just, uh, as soon as they woke up, they were okay. They would have symptoms uh, sometimes for uh, three, four weeks and sometimes longer than that after a concussion. So that's when we began to realize that it's a bigger deal than what we originally thought. And uh, I happened to uh, become privy to uh, what they were doing in Pittsburgh and uh, met Dr. Lovell. And so we were the first sports organization to adopt uh, impact. And we started using it uh, uh, way back. I probably won't get the year exactly right, but I think it was around 2002. And, uh, so we had a protocol uh, way back then. If we had uh, somebody that uh, tested, you know, had a pretty good uh, crash, and we thought that there were symptoms of uh, concussion or the crash was bad enough to cause a concussion, we tested them right then and there. And they would read the tests uh, in uh, Pittsburgh and give us the results, uh, usually within uh, – 20, 25 minutes, and uh, so it was perfect. It was great. So we could keep the driver in our medical unit, uh, get the results, and if he had a concussion, that was it for the weekend, and we didn't let him go drive again until we had had a normal uh, normal test. So as I said, CART was the first ones to do that. Uh, Formula One did it shortly thereafter, uh, and now it's uh, it's done by all major sports, uh, all the way from uh, grade school up through professional sports, and it's uh, it's really common, and it's it's made a big difference in uh, how concussions been handled. We're talking with uh, Dr. Stephen Olvey, who's uh, the author of Rapid Response and also the movie Rapid Response, which also features uh, Dr. Terry Trammell. Fascinating look at. Uh, racing uh safety uh especially on the open wheel side uh rapid response the the movie is available on dvd and video uh on demand and the the book is also available too how, how can one get the book uh doctor uh the best way is uh through uh amazon uh, uh that's kind of the quickest i think and mm-hmm. uh probably if i'm not supposed to say this but probably uh, the best price uh, the way the uh, the new version of the book came about is because uh, the movie was finished, the uh, 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 publisher and uh, the producers of the movie wanted me to write a fi- like a final chapter. And so uh, there's a fairly long uh, last chapter that brings everybody up to date from 2006 up until uh, 2019, really. And uh, uh, just to get everybody in step with uh, what's transpired uh, since the original book was written, or the original version was written. Yeah, also if you go to safeisfast.com, there's a couple of inter- very interesting videos uh, done by yourself, and there's one, Concussions and Racing, a case study that you did with yourself and Daryl that is in- in- interesting, and also on driver safety, too, how to crash safely. Uh, good stuff on there, and we certainly appreciate you taking time out on the final inspection show and looking forward to chatting with you again, Doctor. Well, thank you very much. All right, that was Dr. Stephen Olvey on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Has your passion outgrown your home? A Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. Coming up next, three questions with Larry. 
This is Final Inspection with Steve Zaki. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. Final Inspection Show, Steve Zaki. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, Mr. Sprint Car himself, Larry Janicek. How you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, Steve. Well, he wasn't Jackie Stewart, but Dr. Oldie was one heck of a great interview. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward. Like I've been, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of a, when it comes to racing safety and that, I've always been kind of a geek. So, and he was... One of one of the guys I always looked up to when I was a kid, and 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 anything regarding racing safety, I was always had an interest in, at very very young, and that probably goes back to the the old show emergency, back to the seventies, and one of the reasons why I eventually became an EMT. So he saved a number of lives. And I actually so found a, the first the, the, the first actually I found a photo. I, I, I found a photo. Of, there's only one photo of me at a racetrack uh, with the ambulance, and I actually found it in my. I've been going through all my old photos and whatnot for the last couple of weeks, and I, I finally found. I didn't even know I had it, so there's. I think I sent it to you. The shot of me at Hales Corners. And yeah, pretty neat deal. Much a much better, okay, Steve. <laughs> for my first question, I got to give you a little bit of backstory. Uh, in my mind, there's four super teams in the NASCAR Cup Series. Penske with three cars, Hendrick with four cars, Gibbs with four cars, and Stuart Haas with four cars. And if you can remember back far enough, there have been four Cup Series races this year. Daytona, Las Vegas, California, and Phoenix. And I devised a system here for grading the teams. And I wonder, and it's a deal where the, like golf, the low score is the best. And what I've done is I've gone through the point standings after the first four races. And uh, wherever the person is on the team is in the points, uh, that's where their score is. So like, for, so, and then in order to make it even, because there's three super teams with four cars and one with three, I divided out the total for each team by how many cars. So like Penske divided it out by three, Hendrick, Gibbs, and Stuart Haas, four. So it's a direct comparison. And my question is, uh, who do you think which team uh, graded out the best for the first four races of this season? I was going to do it every fifth race, but by then I'll have forgotten about it when they have the fifth race. You might, um, at first blush, you might think, you know, Joe Gibbs, but I think they only have one win. I think that was at Daytona. I thought, uh, you know, it seems so long ago now. But uh, Penske, I know Logano has two wins because I always curse at my TV when he wins. Um, But I know Chase Elliott was running well, and Bowman had that win. I think think overall might be Hendrick might be the strongest, right? Just because of uh, on the strength. Of course, uh, yeah, I'm going to say, of course, 
William Byron had a couple DNFs, but he was running very well. I think it might be Hendrick. Am I right? Uh, you, no, that was the second. The number one uh, with a total of 6.33 points is Penske. Then Hendrick okay. with eight points was second. Third, Gibbs with 12.75 points. And a distant fourth was Stuart Haas with 12. Oh, excuse me, Stuart Haas was third with 12, and Gibbs was fourth with 12.75. But Hurt Gibbs, Gibbs uh, Ham, Hamlin was third in the points after four races, but then Kyle Busch was 12th, Truex 15th, and Eric Jones 21. And what huh. Hurt uh, uh, Hendrick was, uh, Byron is 19th in points. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but he he was running well though, in most of the races. So and they got taken yeah. out, of course. Yeah, and, and what hurt Stuart Haas was uh, Cole Custer's twenty second. Yeah, yeah, he's been starting off slow, which is not a surprise. I just thought it was so. kind of an interesting thing to look at it. Yeah, and there hasn't. I mean, it, it it's it's gonna seem weird. I mean, there's you know because we've never had a gap like this in 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 NASCAR. It's gonna be weird seeing you know. It's almost going to seem like a new season, but it's not. Do you think that with uh, the strangeness of this season and, and God only knows how they'll – I know they want to get all the races run with the, how they're going to schedule them. Do you think that for this season they might drop the uh, chase or whatever you want to play off and, and just go by the regular old point system and run it right through to the end? That's a good point. You wonder if they would. I don't know. I, I, you know what? It all depends on the almighty dollar, as I always say. So yeah. it's up to. Uh, well, then you know, you know too, with to rescheduling, NBC. some of those races might have to be rescheduled into the time right. frame when those were going to be all chase races. It'll be interesting so how far they really run be... into. Yeah, if they how far they're going to run into December, you know, to get because I don't think they're going to be able to run all thirty six. Uh, races, but I think you know it'll be interesting to see which ones they double up on and how far they run into December. Mm-hmm. The poor listeners might have to put up with us longer. It <laughs> should be fun. My <laughs> second question is a little more uh, standard. Who were the first five women to actually race in the Indy 500? Well, the first five. Well, I always like to put the asterisk. Do you mean to qualify? Yes, to race, actually. At at Indianapolis. Well, if you want to win a bar bet, you can always say, well, who is the first woman to drive a race car at Indianapolis? And that's actually Paula Murphy, who drove one of the Novi's in the early 60s. She was sponsored by the STP Studebaker Group and did a lot of land speed stuff and a lot of drag racing and whatnot. But she drove a Novi at... Indianapolis, I want to say 64, maybe? The end of 64, they did a tire test. They had her do some publicity shots. She ran there. I don't think she... I think she ran like 130-mile-an-hour laps. Um, But let's see. Of course, Janet Guthrie attempted in 76. Uh, Desiree Wilson attempted to make the race in 82 and drove off and on through the mid-80s. 
on the card the, series. What I'm looking for is the ones that were actually in the race. Trying to, uh, Lynn St. James would be number two. And then, let's see, so that takes us into the 90s. Um, and then Sarah Fisher probably would be, I think, 97. So she should be three. And then, ooh, this is where it gets a little touchy here. With, uh, tight with a bunch of one. Simona De Silvestro, Anna Beatrice, Danica. Danica, her first year was 2004. So where do the other ones fit in? I'll say Danica at four. Of course, I'm probably missing one. Um, no, so far you're right. The first four you've gotten in order. And then I'll say Anna Beatrice is fifth. Uh, you you crapped out yeah. on that one. Milka okay. Duno oh, Milka was in Duno. 2007, and then in 2010 were Anna Beatrix and Simona Di Silvestro. Milk and donuts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got time for a okay. third one? You bet. In, uh, 1998, in the 1998 Indy 500, Eddie Cheever achieved something that hadn't happened since 1977. What was it? Uh, oh, owner, owner, winner. Yep. This is. 1977 was A.J. Foyt, and uh, next time an owner won the race driving was 98 with Eddie Cheever. Interesting. You got one more? Give me a quick one here. Elio Castroneves accomplished something in the Indy 500 that no driver had ever accomplished before or since in his career. Climbing the fence, uh, winning a race he should not have. I don't know. He's the first driver to win uh, the Indy 500 in his first two attempts. Yeah. Don't talk to Paul Tracy about that. It's a sore spot. Yeah, rookie. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, Yeah, look up, for those who really get into this stuff, look up uh, Billy Arnold. Uh, Billy Arnold, who won the race in 1930. He's got some fascinating statistics. Uh, only ran, I think, five times. I think led in four of them. And led over, I think, 150 laps and won and did not win. Uh, but, yeah, Billy Arnold, Indy 500 stats. Uh, look that up on Google that one, and you'll be pleasantly surprised about him. Interesting fella, too, who actually worked um, did a... Uh, worked as a officer stateside during World War II with the U.S. Army Air Corps too. So, uh, interesting, just an interesting fella to look up and do some research on. That to Billy Arnold. I will do that. Larry, we I'll leave, certainly I'll appreciate leave you with it. This. I'm surprised it wasn't okay. talked about in the first hour. Uh, who do you think is going to get Larson's Cup ride? Uh, everybody is pointing to the watermelon man. So we'll see if he gets Chastain. It. Yeah, Chastain. Well, who I want to call Brandy Chastain. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Ross Chastain, I think. Uh, we'll yep. probably get it. So you wonder how much Chevy has, you know, how much they'll they'll say too. I mean, is this 
do you want to do what they want to put an experienced guy uh i think it was larry mcreynolds or somebody on one of the shows gave a, an interesting um comment on that they said what well, ask kyle bush you know i mean <laughs> kurt bush sorry ask kurt bush yeah. who he thinks so let him have some feedback who he, he who did would he not saying that he should pick it, but maybe have him give some feedback. Who do you think would be a good teammate? Who would be somebody that would be good to work with? Who can, cause that's a team that needs some help, you know? And, uh, you know, Kyle Larson, if you look at the, uh, let's see here, I think he's what's top 10 in points. So, you know, and was running better. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, what, the, what, the, what does this do to Chip Ganassi Racing? How do the, 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 the pit crew guys and the people at the shop, what, what, what's, what's, what, what do they think? Especially if you put in a rookie driver or somebody, are they going to work as hard? Let's face it, you know, some guys like, oh, they got, you know, Joe Blow in here. You know, I'm going to do my job, but, you know, how well am I going to die? I don't know. We'll see. I, somewhere this week I saw somebody throw a name out of Jamie McMurray, who was a former... Ganassi driver. Uh, I don't, boy, yeah, I don't know because once again, you know, we talked to Doctor Stephen Olvey. He had some concussions too, and I don't think he's. Does he want to do that? I don't know. We'll see. Do they? Does he want to learn Talladega too? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I think there's a lot of guys after, especially after Ryan Newman. They're like, hmm. You know, not 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 necessarily them, but I'm sure his wife. You know, the wife is saying, "Are you sure you want to do this?" Because I don't think you should. You know. Yeah, he doesn't. Get, he doesn't have much of a chance of getting hurt on TV when he's doing his comedy. Exactly. And those those <laughs> and those jobs pay. Money. Yeah, exactly. Those jobs pay pretty well. So, Larry, we certainly appreciate you taking time out and coming on the show, and look forward to chatting with you next week. Okay, Steve. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. All right. We're going to close out the show here with an interview that I did with Boris Sett at Road America last year. And, uh, of course, Larry was on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Has your passion outgrown your home? A Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. Coming up next, Boris Sett. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with David Hobbs Honda. Joining me at Road America, it is Boris Sedd, who's running a Trans Am Series this weekend. Boris, welcome to the show. I appreciate you joining yeah, us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you've been running here for many years. I was just talking to my buddy John, the photographer here. The first time I saw you was in a near street stock Mustang, a white Mustang. And I was trying to remember if that was a, like a Firehawk series or what series was that, about 1991 maybe? I, maybe? Yeah, I think that was World Challenge series. World Challenge, yep. okay. The first time I came here I think was 88 in the Corvette Challenge when we raced here. Okay. And, I mean, this track is it's one of the best in the country. Yeah. It's a fantastic place. Well, you you certainly got my attention because you were ringing out that Mustang as a old it was a Fox body Mustang, and we were in turn fourteen, and you were just tearing it up. I'm going, who is that guy? And you you got my attention that day. So I've always been a fan since then. So, and uh, of course, you know, as a racing historian, your father raced in that. But uh, it's you've had quite the eclectic career, and uh, I was joking at Max Pappas on uh, uh, last year, and 
we were kind of joking how is there a situation with with you and 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 you and Max taught these NASCAR drivers too well to race how to race road courses, or well, what's the deal with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, they never really took it seriously in the old days, and and so when they started getting us in their cars and showing them, I mean, I I liked doing it, you know, because I wanted to go more stock car racing, so I figured it was a good in to learn the cars, and you know, when, when I went over racing, I could ask them for help, so. You know, I taught over 35 cup drivers over the years, you know, before they discontinued testing. Right. And it's like showing a duck water. You know, once you tell them a few differences between oval and racing, I mean, they pick it up, and now they take it seriously. And, and I've always said the NASCAR guys are the best in the business. I mean, for the simple reason, they're in a car more than anybody. Right. You know, their races are longer. They have more races. So they're always in a car, and they're some of the best drivers in the world. I've always said, you know, uh, one of the things I, I think that would hurt young drivers nowadays is a lack of seat time, or they're they're so pinned down and going in one direction that, you know, not the guys like Mario and AJ and Pernelli that would, would embrace everything and even even you guys, and uh, I mean, is that something that kind of helped you where you didn't have any pre, you know conceived conceptions of where you were going to go racing-wise? From the first time I saw a race car on the track, I just wanted to do it, and I didn't care. If I got an offer to drive anything, I would just take it. So, you know, I mean, in some years I drove over 14 different series, you know, one-offs here and there doing stuff, and sure. and I always thought it was a challenge, and it was just fun. I mean, to race a go-kart or to race at the Daytona 500, it's the same thing. You're racing wheel-to-wheel, and it's just a blast. But, you know, as a driver, you know, going up through the production car ranks, you know, when you get a chance to do Trans Am, that's a real car. And then you're like, you set your sights on something faster. And, and, and I always thought, well, maybe if I could try NASCAR. And, you know, I got the opportunity and did a lot of years in NASCAR, and, I mean, that's the best in the business. So as a driver, you always want to test yourself against the best guys, and, and that's what I always figured I'd do. Well, what did you consider your your best ride or your best race in NASCAR? Uh, I mean, you know, I I won the truck race in uh, Sears Point one year. In 2010, I won the Xfinity race at, at uh, Montreal in a small team. Which it, I wish they went, went. I really enjoyed that race. Oh, it was a fantastic My, That place. one in Mexico I thought was those were entertaining races. Yeah, that was a great race, too. I finished second there the first year behind Martin Truex Jr. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, in Cup, I... I had chances to win, but something always would happen. And, I, you know, my best finish was third on a road course. And, you know, one year I finished fourth at Daytona at the Pepsi 400, which was pretty cool. You know, we led 10 laps of the last 12 laps, and Tony Stewart got me with one and a half to go. But, um, you know, I, I, it, it's tough, you know. But, but I, you know, getting to drive that, and you know, I think I, you know, gained some respect. I, you know, you have a lot of bad races. You have a lot more bad races than good races in there. It's really tough. But. But it was a lot of fun and great experience over my, you know, 34 years of auto racing to get to do NASCAR as well as all the sports car racing I've sure. done. Talking with Boris said on the final inspection show. And uh, how did this deal come together? Because you're not racing, obviously, not full-time. You have other interests with the BMW dealership and whatnot. So how did this deal come together? Yeah, I mean, I, I retired two years ago. And then last year, Poncho Weaver, who's a car builder, said, hey, I'm going to build a Trans Am car. You want to do a few races? And out of all the cars I've driven over my career, that was my favorite. Mm. You know, it's old school, 850 horsepower, no electronic aids, no paddle shift, you know, no ABS, no tracks control. And the cars, you know, here they go 182 miles an hour. So they're bitching cars to drive. So I did a few races. And then this weekend, you know, it just happened, you know, five days ago where Tommy Dreesey has a blood clot in his leg, so okay. he couldn't race. And so Claudio Burton, I've known forever, he called me up and goes, hey, do you want to run Road America? And I'm like, yep. You know, I didn't need to think about so my wife says i'm not retired because i still drive a little bit but i'm pretty much retired but 
to come out and do a Trans Am car or a vintage car, I mean, I'd do it all day long. Well, it's kind of nice because you get to kind of pick and choose where you want and where your schedule permits, so nothing wrong with that. Right. And when she gets mad at me, I'm like, look, a drug dealer doesn't just get off heroin. You know, they get methadone <laughs> and they do. They, they wind down. So I'm kind of winding down right now. That's true. Cause, uh, we're, we're, we're... That's going to do it for us here on the Final Inspection Show this week here on The Fan. Thanks to Steve Zotke and our great sponsors, of course, the legendary Great Lakes Dragway down in Union Grove closed right now hopefully opening soon as well as david hobbs honda up there in glendale jeff steve dennis the gang will all be back uh next week next saturday as we uh as we roll along here on the fan everybody stay safe out there and uh god bless Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.